Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am convinced this morning that that statement and promise of our Lord taken from Matthew 11 may very well be, at least in my opinion, the most life-giving, hope-inspiring, gloriously encouraging word that was ever spoken by our Savior. It's not a hyperbole. It's not a preacher's exaggeration. Because what Jesus offers in that statement, indeed what Jesus promises, in that three-sentence paragraph, is an offer of rest. Rest to the weary. Rest to the burden. Rest to the broken down and outcast souls of our world. And I am convinced that nowhere in all of Scripture is there a more beautiful, lovely, and gracious and needed invitation than the one that is given by our Lord here. What, what Jesus is saying here to people who are frustrated and burdened and weighed down by the legalism of religion and its consequences, namely the guilt and the dissatisfaction that comes from that kind of a lifestyle, Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He's speaking to those whose life had become virtually unbearable. And he says, come. He says to the person who is living in fear of death, come. He says to the person who is burdened by guilt and sin and shame, he says, come. Come to me and I'll give you rest. What's more, he goes on in this paragraph and he says, I want you to learn from me. I want you to accept the yoke that I want to place upon you because my demands are not burdensome. And I promise I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will provide for you peace in the place of conflict, hope in the midst of despair, strength in the place of weakness, acceptance in the place of rejection, forgiveness in the place of guilt. And friend, it all begins, and we've sung about it this morning, by simply coming to Jesus. Friend, what an incredible invitation. What you find in this simple paragraph is really the message of Christianity. He says, I want you to come to Jesus. You know, as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture these past few weeks, my mind went to the scores of people that live in this valley and in our state Indeed, the people in our nation and indeed the people in our world who are busily engaged in all kinds of religious activities, but they've yet to find rest. And by the way, just for the record, everybody is religious. From the atheist who denies the existence of God to the person who says they believe in God yet never darken the door of a church to the person who never misses church on Sunday. Every person has a God before whom they bow. 
Now that God may be money, it may be sex, it may be power, it may be self-indulgent, but everybody has an altar at which they worship to find satisfaction for their soul. And Jesus comes in this statement this morning, and he says, I want you to stop striving and straining and looking and seeking and investing in all of those things that will never satisfy your life, your soul's longing, and I want you to come to me. You know, I think it's important before we look at this paragraph that we remind ourselves that our Lord did not come to replace all the faults and ineffective religions with another religion. Jesus came in love and grace and mercy to do for you and me everything that the holiness of God requires so that we can enter into eternal rest and have peace with God. And what I want to do this morning is simply unpack this passage, which is so rich in meaning, by asking five simple questions. And the first question is simply this. To whom is this invitation given? You say, well, Doug, that's pretty easy. He's calling everyone. He says, come to me all. And indeed, he's calling everyone. And in a sense, that's true. He's calling people of every age, nationality, temperament, and background to come. But I want you to notice carefully verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I love the King James here. It says, all those who labor and are heavy laden. And friend, if you and I are going to get an accurate picture and be very, very precise... That word, all, doesn't mean all because it's only for those who are burdened and weary. In other words, the all is conditioned by those who are willing to admit their need. This invitation extends only to those who meet the qualification. And that qualification is simply a recognition of your desperate need of Jesus Christ. And as paradoxical as it might sound, the only qualification for coming and receiving rest is that you realize you have none. It's coming to him and admitting your desperate need of Jesus Christ. It's coming and by coming you acknowledge that you have no energy in yourself to make yourself worthy to come and stand before a holy and righteous God. In response to this invitation that Jesus gives, the only requirement of you is that you sense an awareness and acknowledge your complete spiritual and emotional exhaustion before God, your utter and total and complete bankruptcy before God. You know, this weariness that Jesus is talking about here is a spiritual and moral fatigue, it's not physical. The weariness here isn't financial in nature. The rich and the Olympic athlete alike can come in response to this invitation. It's to the person who admits their spiritual need of Jesus Christ. 
That is true that this invitation is to the person who has that sense of loss because they've lost a loved one through perhaps a senseless death. To the person who's struggling in their marriage or being a parent or grandparent or the person whose investments just tanked. Or the person who's just plain burned out. And this invitation is extended to the angry atheist who denies God. And in his denial, he's been left disillusioned about life. And as such, he's wandered aimlessly. This invitation is extended to the proud, self-sufficient, egotistical, self-righteous, works-oriented person who thinks he's going to make it to heaven on his own efforts. Jesus is calling to the man or woman who's struggling with all kinds of sins, failures, and shortcomings. Jesus here is calling everyone whose life experiences have not lived up to the expectations that they had. And they feel that God dealt them a a bad hand in life. And the one thing that they would love is a redeal. Friend, Jesus here promises rest to the contrite, broken-hearted, humble person who is willing to come to him and admit their need. You know, as I was thinking about this invitation that Jesus gives here, and as I was reflecting on the life of Christ that's recorded for us in the four Gospels, I realized that every person Jesus came in contact with in the first century and to this day, has one common denominator. And that is for Jesus to call them to himself, they have to first and foremost admit their need. That's why Jesus was able to call the prostitute and the Pharisee, the religious and the righteous. He was able to call tax collectors and storekeepers and shepherds and men and women, young and old, politicians and blind beggars. And the only thing that all of those people that Jesus called to himself is they had to admit their spiritual exhaustion with the religious system of their day. They had to come and acknowledge their utter dependency upon Jesus to bring them rest. And I love the fact that it was a very personal invitation. Did you notice what Jesus says? He says, I want you to come to me. He doesn't offer a fourfold plan to peace-giving enlightenment like Buddha does. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does. He doesn't give us ten ways to release your weariness, which we pragmatic, self-oriented, 21st century Americans are so drawn to. You know, we love those self-help books. No, Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all of the burdens that we have. And he says, I want you to come. I want you to come to me. It's not a place, it's not a church, it's not a temple, it's not a conference center, it's not a retreat, refuge that's nestled in the woods or on the mountaintop. Friend, you're not going to find rest in a conference meeting unless Jesus is at the center. 
You're not going to find it in a recovery group, no matter how helpful. You have to come to Jesus. You have to come to Jesus, who's the Son of God and the Son of David and the Savior of the world. It's not coming to Buddha, Muhammad, a philosopher, a prophet, or a guru who's only going to give you a long list of rules and regulations that are almost impossible to live by and only lead to frustration. Jesus doesn't give us all kinds of conditions we have to meet and standards we have to obtain. He says simply, I want you to come to me and I will give you rest. He says, I've done it all. Raises a second question. And that is, what does it mean to come to Jesus? <laughs> By the way, don't miss that this is a command. You will respond one way or the other. Everyone does. Either you come or you don't. And the rest that Jesus offers doesn't come to the one who rejects. It's not automatically given to everyone. His rest comes only to those who come to him. So what does it mean to come? Let me remind you that it has nothing to do with physical movement. In other words, coming to Jesus doesn't mean that you have to walk an aisle, raise a hand, sign a card. If that were the case, a quadriplegic would be unable to come. But you know what? They can come just as easily as the gifted athlete. So what does it mean to come to Jesus? Friend, it means simply this, to believe, to trust, to cast every anxiety, every care, every concern for your eternal salvation upon him. Well, what exactly are we being asked to trust? Simply this. You are being asked to trust this morning that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, fully God and fully man, and that he did what he said he would do, namely die on the cross and be raised from the dead as a full and complete payment for your sins. Coming to Christ is simply putting your trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Namely, that Christ died and that Christ was raised from the dead. You know, I hope everyone will agree with my next statement. And that is, I can't think of anything more absurd, more ludicrous, more ridiculous than to come to someone and trust your eternal destiny to them whose life is full of lies and deception. Friend, that's a definition of insanity. When you put your trust in someone who's a phony, a liar, a deceiver, and a fraud, it's lunacy. And you know what? When you come to Jesus, you're coming to someone who's proved that he was indeed the Son of God, who did what he said he would do, namely die on the cross and be raised from the dead. Friend, that is an historical fact.
And when you and I come to the one who promises to give us eternal life, we're coming to someone who can satisfy and meet the longings of our soul. And when you and I come to him, we find a prize more precious than anyone or anything. It's more precious than political power, earthly fame, more precious and valuable than all the earthly wealth. But you know what? This coming also involves a leaving. Now think about this. To believe in him requires that we set aside everything else that has won our confidence. When you and I come to Jesus, we have to abandon the confidence and the trust that we have in anyone or everything, anything out there. You have to abandon your hope in your intellect, in your education, in your good works, in the degrees that you may have, the positions that you may have held or are holding, the church membership that may be yours, the achievements that are yours. You have to abandon all of those false hopes you may be holding on to for your soul's rest, and you have to come and trust Christ and Christ alone. And you have to realize that Jesus is the only answer to every question, every concern, every fear and need that you will ever have. And what you come, when you come to Jesus, as you agree with the psalmist who said in Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my rock, my refuge. When you come to Christ, you prize him and treasure him and value him as being preeminently worthy of your affections. And you know, I understand this morning, I really, truly do, because I understand people. I realize that some people say, well, I just don't feel inclined to think that way. Friend, if you're in that camp this morning, I want to plead with you to cry out to God to give you the ability to see yourself as you truly are. A lost, hopeless, helpless sinner before God and respond to him. To see the one who's giving you this invitation as the Son of God and to be so captivated by him that you cry out to God for ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to respond that God will give you, as it were, new spiritual taste buds that you will hunger and thirst for God. There's a third question. That is, if we come to Christ, what does he promise? Well, Jesus says twice over in verse 28 and then again in verse 29 that he promises us rest. Now, that word rest has nothing to do with physical rest. Jesus is not saying here that when, when you come to Christ, you'll become a, a spiritual couch potato. You know, and you'll be able to lazily and idly sleep till noon and sleep on the couch in the afternoon. 
and being active. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. That word rest is speaking about, and I love this phrase, it comes from the Puritans. It's the soul's sigh of relief. Isn't that good? The soul's sigh of relief that comes from being delivered from wondering, have I done enough to please God? And have I done it long enough? Is God satisfied with my efforts to please him? Is God still angry with me? But experiencing the rest of God is having your heart totally calm and at peace with God. Where you have no anxieties or worries over whether God has truly forgiven you and made you his child. You know, some people, and you may be among them this morning, live in that constant fear of wondering, am I really morally adequate to stand before God Am I pure enough? Am I righteous enough to stand before God? Friend, the answer is no. So stop trying. But here's the good news. Jesus is. And that's why Jesus says, I want you to come to me. It's coming not to yourself, to a church, to a guru, to a prophet, to a philosopher. It's coming to Christ. And what's ever so tragic is that some people live in fear that there's something else that God is asking them to do and then they forgot to do it. And they end up being paralyzed by fear. Last Thursday as Connie and I were leaving the house to come to church, we got a mile, about a mile away from our house and Connie looked at me and she said, did you shut the garage door? I think I did. I can't remember. She said, neither can I. So we had to go back. Guess what? It was closed. <laughs> but we were worried. Whether or not we'd done what we were supposed to do. Friend, once you come to Christ, you never have to wonder again, have I done enough? Because it's all been done for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He paid it all. The rest that, that Jesus is talking about here is the soul's sigh of relief that he did it all. And all we have to do is receive the gift that he offers of rest as a gift. It's the soul's sigh of relief of never having to fear death as some dark, unknown termination of our existence. It's that soul's sigh of relief of knowing that if others abandon us, God never will. It's putting our trust in that all-sufficient Savior who was the perfect sacrifice for sin. It's that soul's sigh of relief that comes when all of the empty rituals and regulations of religion are set aside. Friend, aren't you fed up with all of the legalistic demands that are made upon you in some religious circles by religion and man? Jesus said, I've come to do what religion could never do. And that is satisfy the righteous demands of my Father on your behalf. 
And I love the fact that Jesus says, I'll give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll pay you rest. As if somehow you could put yourself in debt to God and earn it or merit his rest. It's a gift. You don't merit rest by coming, you simply receive it as a gift. And the fact of the matter is, if justice were in play here, we would be forever left to our burdens and weariness and spiritual anxieties. Friend, the rest that Jesus offers here is a divine grace and mercy. It's a demonstration of his love for us. There's a fourth question. That is, why should we come to Jesus if in doing so, we're then placed placed under another burden or another yoke? See what Jesus says? He says, I want you to come to me and I'll give you rest. You who are weary and burdened, he said, I want you to come to me. And then in verse 29, he says, I want you to take my yoke upon you. What? I just got out from under a yoke and you're asking me to take upon myself your yoke to learn from you? That doesn't make much sense. You're asking me to come to Jesus to rid myself of all my burdens only to be given more? And that sounds just absolutely ludicrous. Until you realize that the yoke that Jesus places on us when we come he says, is light and easy. The yoke, the demands that Jesus makes of us when we become a Christian is a yoke of obedience that brings with it joy and peace and delight. Living as a Christian brings with it demands, but those demands, those burdens, Jesus says, are easy and light. You say, Doug, how is that possible? Here's how. Do you remember what Paul says in Philippians 2, 13 through 14? Friend, those two verses express what I am talking about here as well as any in all the New Testament. In Philippians 2, 13, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Notice, by the way, it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Now that seems pretty demanding. It seems pretty difficult. Until you read verse 13. Where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I want you to listen. The glorious principle and truth that makes the yoke and burden that Jesus demands of his followers light and easy is simply this. Whatever God requires, God provides. When Jesus makes demands of you and me, And he does. He gives us the strength and the enablement, the ability to be obedient to those commands. That same principle is found at the end of the book of Hebrews. 
Where in Hebrews 13, 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Now, how is that possible? How are we equipped with everything good for doing his will? He says we are equipped, listen, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's the point? Friend, there is nothing that God requires of you and me, but that he doesn't also provide the strength for us to accomplish it. And you know what Jesus says? He says, I want you to follow my lead. I want you to do the things I ask of you. I want you to do my will. And I'll give you the strength and the energy to make it happen. That's how Jesus can say that his burdens are light and easy. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean we set aside all of the biblical exhortation and the ethics and the morals that are found in Scripture. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you can go out and do as you please. Friend, we do what God requires us to do. And in a, in a mystery beyond mysteries, he gives us the strength to do it. The Bible says we're to fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says we're to strain to enter the narrow gate. The Bible says the Christian life is a battle. Doesn't sound very relaxing. Until you realize whatever God requires, God provides. So yes, there's a yoke, there's a burden to living the Christian life. When you come to Christ, there's not a setting aside of the standards that we are to live by. But when you come to Christ, Jesus brings every ounce of his omnipotent strength to bear upon you. And with every command, every imperative, every exhortation, he gives you the enablement to do what he requires. I think it's summed up beautifully in 1 John 5. He says, for this is the love of God to keep his commandments. And then it says this, and his commands are not burdensome. Why? Because whatever God requires, he supplies. You know, I hope you realize that that is totally contrary to every other religion that's out there. Every other religion comes with an invitation to join them, but then there are all kinds of requirements that are placed upon you that are impossible to keep. And there's an offloading of their burdens upon you. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not the way I function. You come to me not because I need you, but because you need me. And when you come, I'll supply all of your needs. I'll give you the strength and the desire and the capacity to serve. Well, there's one more question. And it's simply this. What is it about Jesus that makes this appeal reasonable and wise? Why bother? 
Why, why do it? Friend, because of what he's like. See verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus describes his own character. And he doesn't say, I'm an imposing, ferocious dictator or despot. He doesn't say, I'm the perfect embodiment of a type A personality. I'm not a tyrannical superior who's going to keep you under my thumb. Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. The King James says, I'm meek and lowly. I like that. And friend, you see that in the life of Christ as you look at the Gospels. He showed compassion to every person he came in contact with. And he condescends to all who come. He never responded to someone who came for help as if it was beneath his dignity to help them. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I came to do the will of my Father. That's why although he knows everything, he welcomes the ignorant and unlearned. Although he is morally righteous, he welcomes the morally corrupt and reprobate. Although Jesus is infinitely wise, he receives the fool. Although he's powerful, he receives the weak. And all he says is, come. Just come to me. You know, there's a wonderful hymn written by a man named Joseph Hart. It was written, believe it or not, almost 300 years ago. It was written in 1759. And the man who wrote it was a reprobate for a lot of years. He lived a rough life. He got saved in 1757. And two years later, he wrote this hymn. Come ye sinner, poor and needy. The words are, come ye sinner, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. The last stanza reads, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to fill your need of him. I love that. All you have to do is acknowledge your need. The chorus reads, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. So the question that I want to ask in closing is simply this. Have you acknowledged your need of him? Is there a desperation in your soul this morning, an emptiness that Jesus and only Jesus can fill? Are you tired of religion with all of its rules and regulations and the legalistic demands? Are you just, just fed up with all of that nonsense? Is there a spiritual anxiety in your soul this morning? You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, come to me. And take the yoke that I offer and I'll enable you to bear it. 
Come to Jesus. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he died in your place as your substitute. And after he died, he was placed in a borrowed tomb and he lay there for three days and then he was raised from the dead. And the reality is this morning, you can't get to heaven by your own efforts because the price has already been paid. You say, Doug, I'm not really sure how to do it. I, you know, this, this sounds pretty good. Let me ask us all to do something right now. I want you to just bow your head. Let's have nobody looking around. This is the most important part of this service right now. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so right now. You say, Doug, exactly how do I do it? Well, why don't you say a simple prayer like this? Dear God, I want to come to you right now. I admit that I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I deserve hell. But I now understand for the very first time that Jesus Christ died for me. He took my place in punishment and rose again the third day. And right now, sitting here, I want to put my trust in Christ alone as the one who can get me to heaven. And if you sincerely trust Jesus Christ right now, God gives you eternal life. He gives you the forgiveness of sins. And that's not something that Doug is declaring to you this morning. It's something that the Bible says. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then the very best thing you can do from here on out in your life is to live your life as a thank you to God. And day by day, week by week, month by month, you need to begin to take out of your life what ought not be there and to put into your life what should be there. Father, forgive us for the times that we've confused religion with Christ. Because the fact of the matter is religion can be the most boring thing on earth. But walking with Jesus Christ is the most exciting. Admittedly, we are cynical people. We're skeptical of promises that are given. We hear them all the time by politicians and those wanting public office. As they make unbelievable promises to make our lives simpler. And not only they, but we know they can never keep them. But we're grateful this morning that the promise that Jesus made of giving to us rest, peace, joy, hope, eternal life, heaven, the forgiveness of sins, is a promise that he's not going to renege on. And so I pray that you would stir the hearts of any who might be here without Christ to trust him. Cause them to invest their all in Jesus and to experience this rest.
For we ask it together in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen.